G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. My guest and co-host today is with me in the studio this morning is Pastor Tom Ford. G'day, Tom. How are you? G'day, Phil. I'm doing very well. I'm very glad to be able to be here with everybody on a Sunday morning and uh, uh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming in and uh, and spending some time. Now, so you're the lead pastor at Hope Reformed Baptist Church. Mm, mm. Um, which is in Brisbane. Now, I don't know if this is a tricky question or not, but what actually makes a Reformed Baptist church? What's the difference? Uh-huh. Well, uh, I had somebody come to church one time and ask if we were doing a uh, an alcoholic recovery program uh, <laughs> as a Reformed Christian. Is that what that meant? I said, look, the the Lord does all sorts of things, all sorts of walks of life, but no, that's, that's not what the church is about. Um, uh, Reformed Baptist will mean that our sort of our theology and statement of faith is 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 in the the spiritual lineage and legacy of the early Reformed Baptists of England. Right. So after the Protestant Reformation, yep. which October is a uh, and and you know today October twenty nine is a um, Reformation Sunday. Uh, almost you know almost the five hundred sixth anniversary of uh, of when Martin Luther pinned his yes. uh, ninety five theses. Yeah, knocked to the on the door church. with a hammer. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's a way to make a statement and kick started this amazing gospel movement that was called the Reformation. And after that, in the sixteen hundreds, there was a, a as the Reformation continued and matured, the Baptists came out of it, and um, uh, some of the English Protest- uh, uh, Protestants. Uh, had baptistic views and then but uh, and they created a sort of a statement of faith document as the reformed baptists who um which was called the 1689 second london baptist confession and it was obviously published uh, one, once it was legal to be a baptist it was published in 1689 um and uh, and yeah so to be a reformed baptist today basically means our statement of faith the way we do church is basically uh, taken from the the legacy and the lineage of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Well done. That's a much more detailed answer than I was expecting. <laughs> you know your history. Oh well, yeah, you got it. That's that's a part of that's part of the blessing and the really the the uh, the the bondage of being reformed in that way is well, it glues you to history. You mm. know the guys you have to read the the you're you're always remembering that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And when you're in a sort of confessional or historical um, uh, tradition in a good way of a church, is it stops you from. Uh, uh, hopefully from being too arrogant in terms of chronology and thinking we invented everything in the last mm. generation, mm. you know, evangel- evangelicalism started with Billy Graham. You know, you know, we've got this rich, glorious history that uh, we stand on the top of and thank God for. Do you think that we've kind of lost sight of that, you know, mm. either as a society or, or within the church, of, of an appreciation mm. of history? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's You know, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. We look back. Chronological go, snobbery. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, like you look that. back and go, oh, these city, silly, silly medieval uh, uh, dark ages, uh, uh, you know, unevolved, less developed. They had no progress. And look at what they were doing. They arranged marriages and all of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, less evolved <laughs> sort of my and, – and, and the Christian position is humans are not all that different at all. We're not different from yeah. Adam's day down to, to to the last generation. Our main problem is sin. We're all naturally 
prideful and and uh, you know humanity is is not this evolved progressing group uh, except by the grace of God we're all we're all the same but our, you know I just on this on this on a, a few Sundays ago I preached on a um a passage of the Old Testament in Exodus that actually deals with slaves and um, I actually had to remind everybody and really tell them suspend your 21st century assumptions. Uh, history is an interesting piece of study. Uh, not everybody has thought like we do all the time. And mm. be careful if we look back and our first um, reaction when we're either looking at another part of the world or another part of history, and our first reaction is, these silly people, I would never do that. Well, I'm sitting here with a lot of 21st century privileges and blessings that not everybody had. So i, I got to be... Sh- uh, try and be as gracious to people in the past as you want people in 200 years to be to you, you know, and, and, and forgetting our history is it's, it's almost, a, it's a breaking of the fifth commandment as well to honor our mothers and fathers. People sort of grow up and they leave home and they go, my mother and father were terrible. Well, you're alive because of them at least. And we sort of do that with our historical or our national or our spiritual fathers and mothers that we look back in history and just forget them. And go, oh man, I, 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 we, we need to recover, uh, a good study of history because it helps us with our theology, with our, uh, with, with all sort of parts of life. And it's just a, re- to study history is to study what God has been doing. Mm. So that, that's why I love history. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Now, we were just chatting a moment ago about historical perspectives and, you know, how we kind of overlay our own ideas mm. here and now in, in the time that we live in, in trying to interpret past ideas. Mm. But I guess we can do that even today in trying to interpret things that are going on in some other culture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Classic example. Mm. We try and overlay our Western thinking into trying to understand Mm. what it is that's driving what's going on there. What do you think about that? Well, I think, um, uh, you know, we mentioned before uh, C.S. Lewis's chronological snobbery or a um, a failure to uh, be self-conscious of our own thinking systems. So, in other words, sometimes we can, uh, you know, maybe people have experienced this going to another culture, getting off a plane, and you speak English to somebody. Now, if you're, you're very ignorant, you might speak English to somebody, and when they answer back in another language, your assumption is, oh, they don't know how to speak. <laughs> Wait, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Do they do. And, and there are some people, in the, you know, mostly kids, but there are some people in the world who do not know that other countries speak with other languages. Mm. And, and, but, but, and it's the exact same process that people can think in terms of their morality, their epistemology, which is how do we even arrive at an understanding of truth, mm-hmm. um, uh, purpose, uh, teleology, like where's the world going and wh- what's it's designed for. All of those things are actually, you have all of them. You may not have heard of those categories before, but you are thinking with them. And so the the, the the demand for a Christian is to be conscious, self-conscious of your own morality, your uh, spiritual legacy, your epistemology, uh, why you think the world exists. And when you have that, then you can approach other worldviews or other cultures even and understand where the differences lie. Mm. Because otherwise, what that ignorance – without that, we have this ignorance that allow, that causes us to look at another culture. Maybe they're in the middle of a war or they're making decisions or uh, legislation and we say, oh, they're not thinking. They're stupid. They're wrong. They're, uh, they're completely short-sighted and we need to remember, well, other people think differently to us. You know, and, and – um, the other problem that can come, and you know, this sort of comes back to what we're saying about history, Phil, is that if you don't know history, which which rhymes a lot, maybe it doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes a lot. Uh, 
if you don't know history, then you look at things that happen in the world today and you think, this is the first time it's ever happened. Mm. This is amazing and unseen before and we're the first sorts of people to have to deal with this and you run around with you like a chook with his head cut off because uh, where can you go for advice on this? And if we knew our history, we would go, well, the church has dealt with a pandemic before. Well, uh, well, the West has dealt with uh, uh, wars before. Well, uh, ec- economic downturns have happened before. I mean, all of these questions, you know, Solomon was right in, ecclesial, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new, under, nothing the new sun. under the sun. It's all been dealt with. All the heresies that we see popping around in churches these days, they were all dealt with in the first few hundred years of the church. They're just yeah. being recycled. Yeah. And it can be like that with, you know, maybe it's a con- like a, with a conflict in the Middle East, of which obviously is a very complex situation. Um, but the people, the the warning that I give to my um, congregation is, is, uh, that what people can do is they they look at something like this and think, oh no, the end is right here, or this is obviously mm. a, a um, you know an eschatological event. And well, obviously there's there's a big range of views on exactly the future of the Israel in terms of God's timeline and all of that. Um, if we just knew a little bit more history, we would remember that just about every generation, no, every single generation has had the convi- have had people all throughout their own time that had the conviction that because of this event in this culture mm, this thing near. happening with the Holy Roman Empire or this thing happening in the Middle East it's right around the corner uh it, you know it's going to happen tomorrow you go, look people have thought this before let's just be busy about the lord the master's business and one of the, the devil's great tactics is to distract us yes. with things too big for us so that we don't do the things that are right in front of us and that's one warning that we need to keep away from. Yeah. I mean, it's really good because there's a, a lot of people, myself included, trying to figure out, well, what should our response be mm. to what happens in the yeah. world? And, uh, you know, current crisis you have in Israel. Yeah. How should we be praying? What can we actually do? There is a certain sense of hopelessness mm. that I can't actually do a whole lot. Yeah. But what you just said, we need to be busy about the master's business mm. that is right in front of us. Mm. So I think continue to pray. Yep. But continue to be busy because, uh, you know, Jesus wants to come back and find faith in the earth. Mm. Will he find faith in the earth? That's Will right. he find faithful people? Like mm. that, that's a big question for us to grapple with, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what he uh, he explicitly taught the uh, the the parable of the tenants, uh, sorry, the talents, exactly for that reason, is that he said uh, there will be some Christians, if we can apply his parable, that when Jesus comes back, will say, well, you know, I knew you were around the corner. I knew it was going to be a tough day of judgment. I knew this world is just so terrible. And I, I watched the news and all the media and it just kept me stressed about these big world events. And I knew that the Antichrist was coming. And so I sat down and I I, uh, I, I sat on my hands and I didn't want to do anything too wrong. And and um, I I, uh, I watched the news. And Jesus will say, well, well, give me the talent back. You, you mm. were not actually faithful with what I gave you. I gave yeah, you wow. forgiveness. I gave you a gift. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you the Word of God. And now, in our generation, remember, we also have, you would know this, Phil, uh, at Vision, we also have technology that would make the Apostle Paul shiver <laughs> if he just had something like radio yeah. waves. If oh, if he had a Facebook yeah. account. Oh, the, the the reach that the you know, this guy who walked the Roman Empire, who was shipwrecked multiple times, if he heard that there was such a thing as a as a uh, a steam engine <laughs> boat or a uh, or a plane, oh the the distances he would travel. We need to remember we've been given these talents given to us right on our lap mm. and we need to ask not what is the news telling me to stress about, but 
how can I leverage this into greater prayer and busyness in my own uh, uh, backyard and in my own uh, avenues of practical, functional um, uh, ways of serving Jesus and preaching the gospel? That is such good advice. Pastor Tom Ford is my guest and co-host this morning. This is Sunday Morning Together. Uh, A little change of gears here right now. We're going to take communion very, very soon, and Pastor Tom's going to uh, inspire us with some good words very shortly. But before we get there, preparing our hearts for communion, what would you say is the best way we can do that? Well, two glances is what I I want us to think about. Two glances. Uh, The Puritans used to say, for every one glance at yourself, you take 10,000 glances at Jesus Christ. Now, there will be ways of thinking about the Christian life where you think, oh, my life doesn't matter, my behavior, you know, it's all grace, grace, grace. Well, communion is a time to genuinely look at yourself and assess yourself and look at your spirit and check your own uh, record of sin and righteousness. And and am I living obediently? Is there areas of my life that are intentionally out of accord with Jesus? So assess yourself, look at yourself, glance at your own life and look at yourself in the mirror according to the word of God and and bring that honestly to the table. But then take 10,000 glances at Jesus and mm. remember his cross where he died for me, his life where he lived for me, his current intercession right now where he's praying for me. Remember the blood that cleanses. So we will be looking at ourselves and we will be especially looking at the wonderful gospel and the promises of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Sunday Morning Together, together. with Phil Edwards. On Vision Christian Radio. My guest and co-host this morning is Pastor Tom Ford. Uh, he is the lead pastor at Hope Reform Baptist Church in Brisbane. He's here with me in the studio today, and uh, he's going to uh, help us to prepare our hearts in that direction for communion. Tom. Thanks so much, Phil. Yeah, the, the Lord Jesus had his uh, uh, said some very specific things around communion and handed it to Paul, who then handed it to the Corinthians. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 um, that, you know, as Jesus broke the bread and as he took the cup, uh, he said, you know, of the bread, he said, this is my body, uh, verse 24, do this in remembrance of me. And that really is has become in church history one of the central communion texts in 1 Corinthians 11. And that's really the theme and the value of communion, that we are remembering Jesus Christ and everything he did for us. Not remembering uh, uh, petitions where we want to bring, not remembering uh, our own uh, accolades in the Christian life or remembering uh, uh, blessings we're trying to bleed from God. We're remembering Jesus Christ in communion. And um, yeah, well, what did Jesus do? What Jesus did was, he came as uh, the perfect God man, the perfect sacrifice, and he purchased me from a life of slavery to sin. He purchased me by his own blood, which was then ratified in his resurrection. He took me away from the tyranny of the devil and my own uh, sinful desires and the slavery and the shackles of sin, which were going to take me towards death. And he purchased me so that he owns me and he calls me his own. Uh, he he also uh, calls us to, you know, he created this thing, his bride, the church, and calls us to be uh, embodied and uh, known and invested in a local church. And so as we come around communion, we're remembering those things. Um, and, and it's, you know, that that's why in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, Paul then also says, if we're remembering Jesus and all that he did, which was purchase me out of sin and call me to a new life of holiness and serving God, then the next obvious step is is to then assess myself. He says in verse 28, let a person examine himself then and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
and, and, and you know, when you buy a car, you have certain milestones on the mileage at which you then have to take it in and sort of get assessed and checked by the mechanics. And, and communion is like that. It's an ordained time from Jesus himself that we sort of stop our life. We put other thoughts out of our mind and we ask genuinely the question, in my remembrance of Jesus, am I living in light of what he's called me to? Am I... Am I actually repentant of, of the sin that I once loved and cherished? And am I seeking to obey Jesus more? Is there an area of my life? Not that I'm looking for perfection. What, that's, that's an endless, endless cycle of, of folly and self-deception. We're never looking for perfection. But as I look at my life, genuinely and honestly before the Lord, silently in my heart, are there areas of my life that I'm refusing to give him sovereignty over, that I'm refusing to bring into light of his word, that I'm refusing to repent of, of, uh, of grave sin. Um, I need to, uh, uh, communion is a time to confess those and pray in repentance that God would bring change. Uh, other, uh, you know, he, he, he purchased me individually, but he also added me to a local church, added me to the, the global church, the timeless church throughout history, but also to a local church. He calls me to be there, be discipled, help with the discipleship of others and, and engage in the great commission. Well, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's what communion uh, is, is the, is a local body being uh, uh, surrounded in the remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So some of us need to ask, am I neglecting the local church? Am I uh, avoiding uh, the, the local church where I can be known and held to account? Uh, am I um, uh, pursuing other things in an uh, alternate away from that? Uh, this is a time for recollection of that. Um and as we take communion, obviously there's people who are who are so far out, and there's not a church around, or all that are infirm and sick and injured and can't get to church. And this is one of those blessings that God has um, uh, allowed for recollection and remembrance uh, uh, for you through radio at a time like that. But um, so these are the things to think uh, in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I giving my whole life and soul to Jesus, or am I holding back areas in sin? Now I'm going to confess that, repent of those things, and remember that he died to forgive me for them. Uh, am I neglecting uh, a local church? Well, uh, what a blessing it is to be able to do this, but uh, uh, radio or radio communion is not is not a, a, a uh, an alternate if if I'm avoiding the the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, the the household of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth, the church. There'll be no perfect church, but I need to join one. Um, or am I... Uh, uh, yeah, my being faithless in those. And and if so, then after I've glanced at myself in these areas, as Paul tells us to do, examine ourselves. If I'm unworthy in manners and I'm unwilling to repent, then then I shouldn't be taking communion. But now I remember Jesus. For all of my sin, he died and bled. For all of my unworthiness, he offered himself up and he reconciled me to God. So in confession of my own sin, I then confess that he is worthy, that his his blood is able to clean, and by by faith I I hold fast to that promise, and I come and remember that in the taking of the bread and of the wine or the juice. Mm, thanks, Pastor Tom. So now's a good time if you have some elements there. I invite you uh, to consider what Pastor Tom has said. Consider as you look at your own heart, and consider also what Jesus has done—the great sacrifice. And make that declaration that he is coming again. To do that in your own time this morning, on Sunday morning together. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. Phil's my name and if you've just tuned in, my guest and co-host today is Pastor Tom Ford. 
Uh, Ford spelt with two O's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, some uh, some Scottish guy at some point threw in an extra O in the family <laughs> name and it's stuck since. Well, the Scots are good at doing interesting things to the English language. <laughs> so right. anyway, so uh, we're going to find out who is this guy, Pastor Tom Ford, um, today. So um, where did it all begin for you? Where were you born? Wait, well, man, I've... I'm Brisbane through and through. So I was born in South Brisbane uh, and uh, have only ever lived in the Brisbane sort of surrounding uh, okay. uh, suburbs and cities. Uh, now I live in Ipswich. I grew up in parts of Logan. Uh, I work in Logan. Uh, my kids are going to school in Ipswich. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a Brisbane guy. I was born to uh, Bronwyn and Lachlan, uh, uh, a Christian family. They're amazing um, parents. Uh, I was the third. Well, I, my parents say they wanted four kids and then they had me. <laughs> and that was the last. And they decided this kid's worth two uh, in terms of our uh, energy levels. So, yeah, I was the third of uh, uh, of, the, of my siblings. I'm younger brother to Sally and Matt, uh, both of them walking with the Lord and serving him as well. Uh, good. Yeah. Good stuff. So I'm, I'm hearing here you, you grew up in a Christian context, mm. Christian family. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I was, you know, one of the greatest blessings of my life is um, to recount is that I was uh, – been able to be discipled and given the gospel, given a Bible, giving, given Christian upbringing and worldview from mm. obviously the youngest age possible. Uh, some people, I mean, you know, it, it's common these days, you, you want a cool sounding testimony. But as, um, as a friend of mine said, who's a powerful preacher and a, and a, and a minister, um, but who was saved at 17, he says, there's nothing to boast about the fact that I served Satan for 17 years of my life. That's not about, you know, uh, I'm thankful for, it's just as much a miracle that a teenage kid can grow up and and remain in the confines of a Christian household and mm. church, then that one can be pulled from the far reaches of the prodigal son's life. You know, mm. I was I was very self righteous growing up. Um, that sort of grew in me. I was I was I was smart enough. I was sort of a, a leader of other kids, and I was put into all these um, opportunities to serve other people at church, and I helped out with kids' church, and all of that has been beneficial for me as a pastor, and I'm thankful for it. But the internal effect that had on me, um, obviously with my sinful flesh, was that I I really got a big idea about myself. And I was just, you know, I was thankful that um, I, I I think God made a pretty good choice in saving me, you know, and I think it was uh, it was for his benefit that I joined his team. You know, that kind of <laughs> mindset of, I I'm, mean. I'm humble and I've got a badge to prove it. Yeah, you? exactly. You know, and I've got the crown that uh, will show that I'm the most humble guy around. And, um, you know, I had lots of non-Christian friends at, a, at my Christian school. And, and so I sort of played comparison. And I just, and I had a very stable, very blessed home. And so uh, uh, that so, sort of stuff just in, in illogical ways got into my head as thinking, I'm pretty good with God. And, you know, he's obviously, I mean, I'm a Christian. I wouldn't be a Christian if he didn't think I was pretty good. Mm. So, so, so went the logic. And so what, was, what shifted that? You know, I used to think that I got saved radically out of this mindset when I was about 16. And just a couple of months ago, I was actually looking through some old storage boxes looking for some stuff for my kids who are going to school next year. And I found, you know, your mums do this. My mum kept all these weird stuff that the school sends home with you. And she kept this treasure box of old mm. memories. And I found it. And I'm, I didn't even know that I had it. I thought she would have had it. And I found at the bottom of this box, this, uh, this spiritual reflections that my school made us do every term in biblical studies. And, and it, it was actually a few years prior, I was about 12. And I found this little insert of me saying, you know, I was just writing down, I think that my Christian life so far has been a, I've been a fraud. 
I've realized that I'm not righteous. I've realized that I'm actually a sinner, that if God judged me, I would go to hell. Um, and as I remembered, I looked back and I realized that it was at that time that there was a a, 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 a young adult man. To me, he was an old guy, right? But I think he's probably only about 23 Back in, now that I did my maths. Uh, and he pulled me aside when I was a teenager. And he, it seemed kind of weird now that I look back on it, just to do a spontaneous Bible study with a kid. But... I see God's hand in it. That he just we just went to Isaiah six, and you know what he did? He did the most unfriendly thing that you would think. Uh, <laughs> it's not really recommended in uh, church growth strategies. He just showed me the holiness of God before Isaiah, mm. and how traumatized and horrified Isaiah was with his own sin in the presence of a holy God. And that God is righteous and just. And did you know He's actually allowed, and He doesn't ask us our permission. He judges people. And look at all these instances in the Bible when somebody comes face to face with God, they're not nonchalant. They are fearful to the point of death. And it just struck me with the reality that I have never considered my relationship with God on its own merit. I'm a friend to other people. I'm a child of these people. I serve in this church. And I realized at that point, I've never really thought about what God looks at me and thinks. Have I ever imagined myself before God? Have I ever actually considered the fact that if I die, I would to stand before him and he would judge me on my own merits? And I was just shaken with this fear. Um, I struggled praying for a while because I was overcome with this burden that I am more sinful than I've ever imagined. And it was, I think after that, uh, I was about 16. So that happened when I was 12. And when I was about 16, I remember my now wife was actually rebuking me quite heavily because I wanted to get involved with her. She was pretty and uh, funny. And in grade 11, <laughs> and she- not interested, And said. not interested. She <laughs> could see through my whole Christian facade. And she said, you know, you're not a Christian. You don't love God. Look at how you treat people. Look at how proud you are. Yeah, wow. And I, and I, you know, you're not allowed to talk to me like that. So I thought, and, and I was just struck with this reality. Again, I have never come to God on the grounds of grace, considering that he loves me. I've just thought of him as an, as an assistant to my reputation in life. And I, and that was the time that I, I know for certain I was born again then, um, mm. uh, that God broke my heart, uh, brought me to the cross. And I realized it is grace alone that can save me. I am unworthy entirely. God is gracious. Jesus is the only way to receive God's saving grace. And from that time, my life changed. I stopped chasing girls. I stopped uh, uh, being a um, a bit of a, a self-righteous Christian bully. I would like to think God, God had a lot of work to do and is still going. But that I remember just, just a big change when I was about 16. But you know, all of that to say, I would encourage people, maybe parents of kids that are not behaving or maybe adults at church and there's other teenage kids around, do not neglect or do not dismay in in the power of those small conversations. You may just be having the conversation that years down the track becomes the catalyst for somebody's conversion, you know, and, and I was a pretty self-righteous and at the same time, weirdly rebellious acting out kid. Um, and somebody just had, by God's grace, the, the, um, the drive to talk to me about the fear of God. And then I found the grace of God in, in Jesus a few years later. So my parents laid all of this groundwork. They taught me about Jesus. They taught me to read the Bible. And, and uh, at some point, God just brought it all to alignment and all to fruition. And and uh, God's grace saved me. Have you had any contact with that guy oh, uh, yeah. who had that conversation since? Yes, yeah, so I was in that church until I was 21. So another eight years or so after that. And he was he was one of the leaders in our youth group. Okay. Um, and then he was a family friend. So, I, you know, it, it actually, over the years, that lots of conversations happened. And and um, 
he was beneficial in giving advice or counsel or Bible study in later years as well. Um, uh, it was, I'm not sure whether or not I've recounted to him the significance of that sit down and meeting or, or what maybe sparked it. You know, maybe he mm. just saw the way I was behaving and thought this kid needs a hit of Isaiah six <laughs> or, or whether it was just something I, th- I recall that it was something that he was learning from the Lord and we were fairly close. He was one of the youth leaders that had something to do with me. And so me and a couple of other guys were to, uh, hearing it from him and him and I had some one-on-one conversation later about it all. It just kept on getting deeper for me. So, mm. um, uh, yeah, you know, the Lord works through his church, through his people. That's that, how he that's does it. it. His truth empowered by his spirit almost always comes through the lips of other Christians who, who apply it to our heart and speak to us. And God definitely did that then. Now, the other interesting thing here that you said was you stopped chasing the girls mm. and that your now wife then mm. wasn't interested in you. Yeah. But she's now your wife. Yes, she is. So what happened? <laughs> well, she thought she wasn't interested, Phil, but that was just my game. You know, it was all a ploy. <laughs> all right, eh? <laughs> uh, look, I um, I knew from the first time I literally laid eyes on her that I, I, I just, she was beautiful. And I was, I was a great tenor at the time when she first came to our school. And I said to my friends on the day when she was getting shown around on her orientation, I said to them, um, I'm going to make that woman my wife, <laughs> which is uh, ex- which is ambitious. a weird thing to say, yeah. ambitious thing to say. But I just thought, wow, she's beautiful. She looks like she's got great character. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. I was a great tenor, but but I just I was in, I was I was uh, 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 infatuated with her character and her beauty and her sort of uh, the way she carried herself. And we, I tried to talk to her a lot over the next sort of two years and she gave me no attention um, because she didn't like my sort of jock popular style. And she was a lot more grounded, very different upbringing to me. And um, yeah, it was actually in the in the process of practicing for a school play in which our characters had to kiss uh-huh. that, we, uh, well, that, we, that we were spending a lot of time doing our practicing our lines, shall we say? No, we, we, were, we were spending a lot of time after school together, and that's when she was having these conversations with me about spiritual things, and I things I hadn't really considered uh, myself needing to deal with, arrogance, not actually trusting in Jesus. And, and it was through some of those conversations when I was about 16 years old that the Lord seemed to s- switch something inside of me, and I mm. realized that there is a lot more to being a Christian than going to church and knowing more about the Bible than other people. And, um, and that's when I saw a transformation in a lot of my behavior. I stopped. Uh, well, I, I, I was self-consciously trying to stop pursuing uh, worldly relationships with girls for status and uh, uh, trying to uh, posture myself in front of my non-Christian friends as being cool like them. Um, uh, and, and the Lord just changed that. That's the big thing that I say that makes me feel like that was when I was saved is that my affections shifted. I didn't want those things anymore. I wanted to serve God with my life. I wanted to uh, obey the Bible. I started reading it uh, a lot more, started getting more involved with things at church. And that was about when I was 16. And by the time I was 18, I was, I was certain somehow, I'm not sure how, but I was certain that God was calling me to the ministry. I just wanted to serve God with my life. He'd opened up opportunities for teaching and preaching and Bible studies and evangelizing. And I realized, I think that God is calling me to use my life to win souls by preaching the gospel. And that's what I was saying to Joy, who at that point I was dating, was, um, uh, you know, if you want to marry me, we're going mm, to- This is where we're going. This, we're going to serve Jesus. I, might yep. not, I won't have all the money I could be if I wanted to chase my other dreams, but uh, it's going to- 
be a big cost for you. Um, a lot of calling on your life as well, but I want to preach the gospel. And she was, uh, she was behind it. She said every every step of the way, I want to be with you, um, helping you preach the gospel. And where it, come what may, wherever God leads us, and mm. God's given us some crazy corners and turns in our, uh, you know, in our uh, our life. And uh, I'm I'm glad that I've had her by my side all the way. Now, something you said earlier on uh, piqued my interest. A few things actually. I get a sense that you've got a great understanding of history. Uh, certainly as it connects to the Word of God and things that have happened in the Reformation mm. movement. Um, and part of that sense of history, I believe, has actually spilled over into the naming of one of your kids. <laughs> yes, it has. Um, <laughs> we, uh, my third son is um, Leonidas Sage Ford. Leonidas yeah. Sage. So, so the okay. Leonidas section, not at all from the Christian heritage. Okay. Uh, I did a bit of looking around to try and- It's a very unique name. Well, it's the name of the uh, the Spartan uh, general and king in one of the Greek states, which has become, you know, he became quite quite famous uh, with the story of the 300 Spartans that went to stop uh, King Xerxes, the Persian king, from mm-hmm. his uh, you know, advance with the, with the immortals coming to take Greece. And uh, at uh, Thermopylae, uh, Leonidas led his 300 men in the bottleneck of the mountains and st- Killed tens of thousands of them mm. uh, with their with their discipline and their fighting. Not in the slightest bit Christian, but uh, definitely an, an inspiring story. And you know his his name means lion's strength or lion's heart. Okay, I try and give our kids names that that uh, call them to something that you know uh, try and identify a godly attribute uh, that we want them to embody. So he's Leonidas. Uh, his middle name is Sage, which obviously obviously is um, a herb, but it is also the meaning of you know somebody who's wise, who gives good counsel. You know, yep. a, a sage. Yep. Um, and that name was the middle name of one of my I think it's my great great grandfather's brother who was a contemporary to Charles Spurgeon in the 1830s and 40s. Uh, he was at the peak of his ministry. in. Um, he was actually in New York. He was a minister in a uh, congregationalist church and was a preacher of the gospel that they said was, um, they called him the orator of his generation. He was a gospel preacher and a minister, and he had this... Uh, I read in one of his, uh, in a eulogy about him, that he had an, an obsession of the gospel, which maybe... It, People meant it as a bit of a critique. You know, he didn't talk enough about politics or he didn't speak about the economics enough. But Mm. that is a critique that I want to define me. He was way too obsessed with the gospel. Just too much Jesus, too much cross, too much atonement. Uh, (laughs) That's that's what we exist. That's what ministers exist for. And and this guy was a preacher. He didn't use a lot of notes. He would just orate and preach and herald the gospel, much like Charles Spurgeon, who is my favorite historical figure. So... Um, this guy's name was Donald Sage Mackay. And uh, so I, I took that middle name Sage and my wife and I gave it to our youngest son. Not because he'll necessarily be, be a minister, but um, it's a, a good bit of family, church history there in, in the naming of our kids. Yeah, heritage and understanding your heritage is, mm. is so important. That's right. And and also, you mentioned earlier the phrase kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. I think people like Spurgeon mm. uh, would be in that category. Yeah. Uh, and you've already answered the question I was going to ask you. You know, who of these greats from the past, mm. you know, kind of does it for you? What is it about Spurgeon? Well, it's just exactly that. His his single you can't debate what his single focus and aim in life was, which was to proclaim the gospel with the direct uh, aim to see souls saved and added to the church for the glory of God. Um, there was 
every 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 Christian will say, you know, we want to glorify God. Every Christian will say we want to obey the Bible. I think there's there's sometimes the church dies the death of a thousand distractions, and so um, uh, people set about glorifying God in in lesser ways or in other ways, but the main thing stops being the main thing. And every generation has to contextualize and change exactly how we do the mission. But the main thing needs to always be the main thing. And especially for pastors, there's there is always a million topics that are screaming out, demanding your attention to preach about on Sunday. You mm. know, the latest conflict, uh, the political things going on in our world, the the pandemic and 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 the Christian pastor needs to be able to speak to all those things without ever distracting from the main thing, the main message, which Paul said, I desired to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the for the Jews and, and a folly to the Greeks. And and that was Spurgeon. He was a lovely, intellectual, kind, generous man um, who was dying, really actively dying from about his 30s onwards because of gout and PTSD that uh, affected him so terribly from um, uh, uh, from a, a stampede that happened in his church one time and killed multiple people. Um, but throughout all of it, he was indefatigable in his zeal to just preach Christ. And, and, and the thing about him is that God blessed it. God still saves people today through his books. There was mm. somebody in Australia who was saved in the 1830s from picking up a, a piece of uh, smoked ham that had been stored in newspaper wrapping, and the newspaper had an, a section of Spurgeon's sermon in it. He read it and was saved. There's somebody who was saved who was wow. a cleaner in a stadium that Spurgeon went to try out his voice at because there was an event coming up he was speaking at. And he just said at the top of his lungs, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a guy cleaning in the stadium up in the back corner just heard the voice reverberate and he got saved in that moment. You know, God just blessed his ministry in such amazing ways because Spurgeon did that thing which God loves to bless, which is have one main song, one main theme, which is exalting Christ to sinners and holding him out with a free offer. No conditions, no rules or or qualifications. If you're a sinner, Christ is for you. Receive Mm. him now. Now receive Christ. Yeah, with such clarity and simplicity right, as well yeah. and conviction. Yep. Now, you mentioned before um, the name of one of your kids, Leonidas. Was I got that right? Leonidas. Leonidas, Leonidas yep. Sage. That's right. Now, you've got four kids. I do. What are the names of the others? <laughs> one of them is just a month old. Um, Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. And she's our first girl. So, very special. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she's she's changed well the way I think her. about Yeah, they're well, that's right. So, her brothers, her, her protective security secret service is uh, <laughs> Arthur Thomas, my okay. firstborn. He's five. Jeremiah Kinross, who is uh, three. He's. Uh, yeah, he's named after. Okay, him. I'm curious. The Jeremiah, probably a biblical yep. connection. That's but right. Kinross. Kinross was uh, a, a, the. My my father's father, his family was from the Kinross family in Scotland. Right. And so that was sort of, that name was sort of uh, preserved through middle names throughout the male line. So we've sort of kept it alive. Okay. And then and your uh, daughter. Leonidas Sage. And then our daughter is Daisy May Beatrice. Uh, what a wonderful name. Daisy May is just the girliest, cutest name we could think of because we had three <laughs> boys and my wife de- deserved a nice, cute name. Beatrice is. Um, well, that's 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 a, a funny story. The the character that my wife was playing in the school play in Shakespeare, where in Much Ado About Nothing, when we fell in love, um, her character was Beatrice. Right. But also my mother's paternal 
grandmother so my great great grandmother her name was beatrice and she was a and she um yeah she has sort of a rich legacy so uh we're, we're sort of keeping a family name alive as well as and honoring my grandfather's mother as well as um uh keeping my uh, uh my love story with my wife alive through her name wonderful <laughs> brought together through shakespeare that's and right four, yep. four wonderful children that's it the, uh, the fruit if you like do you remember yeah. any of the lines from uh, much ado about nothing <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Shakespeare, we, I don't think we've ever done Shakespeare is on that this he, program before. He's at, once you understand his words, you realise that m- about fifty percent of his lines are very inappropriate. <laughs> uh, I remember, uh, yeah. Well, look, my favourite, my favourite line was the line I said as I kissed my wife, well, my then you know friend at school, which was, and I still use it with my wife. I say, hush. I, I stop your lips with a kiss. And he grabs her and kisses her. I use that one all the time. I say, hush, I stop your lips with a kiss in the middle of an argument. Well, there you go. <laughs> Guys, you know, if you're listening right now, you want to stop your, the conversation. It quote, works. Quote some Shakespeare. It works. It, 50% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> 50% of the time, it works every time. I like that. Hey, thanks so much for sharing your story and your passions uh, this morning, Tom. It's been great. I'm going to let you prepare for the best five-minute sermon that we're going to hear this morning. Uh, five minutes can be a bit of a challenge, I know, but uh, we're going to hold you to it. Yep. Uh, what are you going to inspire us with? Oh, we're going to uh, Paul's uh, passage in Ro- uh, uh, encouragement in Romans 8, verse 33 and 34, where he reminds us of our justification in Christ alone. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. My guest and co-host today, Pastor Tom Ford, the lead pastor at the Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Brisbane. And uh, he's, I suspect, is one of these preachers that could probably preach for a long time. So this might be (laughs) a challenge. people agree, yes. (laughs) (laughs) This might be a challenge. We've we've thrown the challenge out to give the best five-minute sermon Mm. that you'll hear today. You ready for it? Uh, I think I am. You think you are? Okay, so we're going into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34, that's right. All right, well, we'll start the clock. Over to you. Well, October is Reformation Month. The 31st of October is the, uh, well, this year it's the 506th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his uh, uh, protest of theology against the uh, Wittenberg Church in Germany. So if you're looking for a good uh, alternative to Halloween, there you have one. October 31st is Reformation Day. And and that makes the 29th the uh, Reformation Sunday, uh, the closest Sunday lying to that day. And the uh, verses today that I'll read speak to what became the, the cardinal, the main issue of the Protestant Reformation when God shed a light again, uh, the light of his gospel across the world. Romans 8 verse 33 and 34 reads like this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Justification is one of the inner layers of the uh, of the meaning of the gospel. Uh, the act of justification, which verse 33 here talks about, God justifying us. Justification is technically a it's a legal act. Of, a, of declaring that somebody is right in accordance with the law. So, so a judge brings down the hammer and declares that a person is, is not condemned. They are right as far as the law considers them. That's the act of justification. It's a declaration. And the great 
wonderful part of the power of verse 33 is not just that we're justified, but that it is God who does the justifying of our sinners. Now, if, if, it was, if it was an angel, if it was a, a, a Christian minister or a prophet of old, we would have questions about the, the legitimacy. But it is God, the judge himself, who justifies us. Therefore, who is to condemn? Verse 34 says, uh, who could condemn us? God is the one who justified us. Now, the great powerful thing is that he does it justly. God does not justify us by by breaking the law. See, because the law condemns us. The commandments of God are this perfect standard that are so infinitely high that no human being can meet them. None is righteous, not a single one of us. And so if God's going to say that we are just, that we are justified, that the law finds nothing wrong with us, then he's going to have to break the law. He's going to dispense of his justice. But that would not be a righteous God. In fact, what we see in the gospel is that God upholds the law. He meets the standards of his own justice. And yet, he is somehow still able to call guilty people righteous. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is, in fact, where some people start thinking, it sounds like a contradiction, right? But this is why it took God to design this. It took the God-man, Jesus Christ, to accomplish this. That God can uphold the law and then somehow also justify people who break the law. And this is how God did it. Jesus came and fulfilled in his life every righteous requirement that the law made. He fulfilled every command. He followed perfectly every law and every statute. And he did it so righteously where we had all failed immensely. And then he went to God's bar of justice. And what he did was swap places with us. This is why God sent him, that he might come and replace us. He swapped his legal standing with us. He stood in our stead. And then having taken our injustice, he paid its punishment in full on the cross. Everything that the the, the law demanded. And then what he gave to, to us, what God credits to us is Christ's perfect record of law keeping. His justness. His law obedience is given to us. This is what Romans 3 verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. So that now God can uphold the law while forgiving guilty sinners. That's the good news. God gives to you a perfect righteousness that is not your own. One that comes from outside of you. And then he treats you as if it were yours. And the way you receive that righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, is through faith alone. If you receive Jesus, then with him you receive his righteous status, his righteousness. And then God looks at you as owning, even though you never earned it, not earning, but owning a perfect righteousness. He declares you righteous on that ground. And that is what we call justification. So nobody could condemn you. Because by Christ's work alone, we see in verse 34, who is to condemn, right? God justifies you and Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is now sitting and praying. So do you feel guilty? Do you know your own sin? Do you know that you're unworthy? Jesus died for you and God uses all of his authority in his infinite, perfect, divine sovereignty. In his authority, he declares you to be righteous. Righteous. No one can stand in the way of that declaration. 
believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, what can we say in light of such a wonderful promise? Jesus is the one who died and not only died for us, but he rose again so that, Lord God, we can be sure that his payment and his sacrifice is accepted because you gave him life back. You you rose him gloriously. And now the great encouragement to our souls is that Jesus is in heaven praying to you that all of his death would be received for anybody that comes. Father God, I pray now that this promise would meet the, the Christian with a guilty conscience, the Christian who feels the weight of their sin and wonders if you can ever be so gracious as to for, keep on forgiving them after all of their failures. I pray, Lord God, that you would, uh, you would assure them on the basis of Jesus that they are forgiven. And Lord God, if anybody is listening to this who is not a Christian, or who has lived a long time thinking of themselves as a Christian, but has never understood this mystery of the cross, would you give to them a clarity now so that they can receive Jesus by faith and hold on to his merits and hold on to his sacrifice in place of their own death and be saved, that they will believe that Jesus died for them, that there's no doing, no obeying, no earning that is necessary. Jesus did it all. Jesus died for me. Therefore, no one can condemn. Father God, would you enrich us with this truth and give us a confidence to be able to love you and worship you and obey you. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray this. Amen. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Thank you so much for your uh, your message a moment ago there in mm. Romans 8. Um, there's a few things that you've said across the, the course of our conversation this morning that I think are really quite important. One is, uh, along, and you, please forgive me if I misquote you here, but uh, you said, as I heard it, that the church can sometimes be guilty, guilty of dying the death of a thousand distractions. That's right. And then secondly, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm, yeah. Really important points. Yeah. This is an emphasis that a, a, a good friend of mine in the ministry, who was my pastor for a time, Craig Ireland, really drilled into me at, uh, in my young years of being an intern at his church. And and um, and it's the thing that you learn from great uh, people used of God from the past, like Hudson Taylor, like uh, 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 Charles Spurgeon, like the, the Protestant reformers, and, and of course, going back to, to Paul and John Chrysostom after him and things like that. It's that at every moment, you know, the, the devil could have a, a whole buffet of distractions held out to the Christian. And it, it's it's become to be known as like mission drift. A church becomes uh, uh, fixated on one particular thing. Now, maybe it's political or maybe it's... Um, it's a mercy ministry that they do, or an or a uh, an event that they put on, or maybe it's uh, it's a particular uh, teaching that they have about you know marriage or whatever. And there's all like it's true that the Bible speaks to everything in our life and everything in the world, and it's authoritative on everything that it says. And yet, it is true that the greatest mind uh, that any preacher has ever had uh, on a human level, Paul the Apostle, made sure that his main message everywhere was the undistracted, undiluted, very offensive, given out in grace, but yet put out in such a way as to blow up and cut down the the, the idols of the day, the gospel of the Lord Jesus mm. Christ. And and that's, what, that's why in verse 16 and 17 of Romans 1, he starts that amazing letter and that book by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So uh, it is the, the power of God to salvation. 
there's lots of things that are good for people to you know that that are that are supplements and that are uh, beneficial side parts of our dinners you know that, but but you can't live on vitamins you can't live on just broccoli you need you know your two five fruit and five two veg or whatever it is these days. but the meat of the meal is always the gospel and so you know one thing that i say very uh, emphatically to guys that i'm i do uh, a ministry alongside or other pastors in you know in, in the in the rich heritage I didn't come up with this but that every sermon needs the gospel in it it doesn't mean that the only thing you preach about is uh you know you read a passage and say well Jesus died to forgive you of failing at this so it's all good let's pray and close up no you apply the law you apply the the word of god to everybody's life but if there's no Jesus Christ being held out to sinners as the solution to their problem, as the Lord of the universe, as God's provision of grace and forgiveness for mankind, if he's not held out, then it wasn't a sermon. It was a really great TED talk. And Jordan Peterson might have some nice words about your talk, but it wasn't a Christian sermon. And so preaching the gospel so clearly every sermon, which then bleeds out to the rest of the church's ministry, do lots but the main thing to always make sure we're doing is preaching the gospel so that souls can be saved and the church grown in that mm. way. Sunday Morning Together with Phil Edwards on Vision. My guest is uh, Pastor Tom Ford, uh, the lead pastor at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Brisbane. And a couple of things I haven't mentioned, you're also the president of the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches in Australia. That's correct, yep. Uh, and you're doing a Master's of Divinity. You mm. must be a busy boy um, through uh, the Covenant Baptist Seminary in Kentucky, USA. Uh-huh. That's yep. a long way to go to college. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm thankful for the internet. It makes, it, <laughs> <laughs> it makes, it, makes it a lot easier. Yeah, doing it part-time at, uh, with them. So so uh, uh, crawling through that and, uh, yep, working with uh, some other uh, great gospel churches across Australia. We're, we're a group of about 23, 24 churches okay. um, who are, you know, Protestant evangelical gospel preaching churches uh, who meet together for a, uh, for an, for a conference every year and, and uh, conservative in our beliefs and, and uh, positions and uh, yeah, God's grown it. And, and, and uh, you know, my, my, uh, the, the dream of my life is that I get to preach the gospel week in, week out to, mm. to a to a congregation that loves to hear it, that sits through my long sermons, that invites the non-Christian <laughs> friends, that God keeps saving people and growing us and mobilizing the community. So, uh, uh, yeah, outside of being a, a husband to my wonderful joy and father to my parent to my kids, um, pastoring this church is um, is just God's call on my life, and uh, I'm so very thankful for it. Well, it's great that you're in the right spot. Mm. I wonder if you might be able to lead us in a prayer this morning for our our nation of Australia. Yeah. Can you do that? I I absolutely can, yes. I'd I'd love to. Uh, Father God, you are the father from which every family on earth gets its name, Ephesians 1 tells us. There is no nation that is outside of your overruling sovereignty. There's no... Uh, uh, landmass, no group, no generation that is outside of your watchful eye, and uh, no nation so sinful, so lost, so far gone that it is not able to have uh, uh, redemption and blessing from you again. Uh, and we we see a lot. If if we focus on the negatives, we see plenty to take away our hope. If we focus on the positives, we may be filled with false hope. Um, but Lord God, every nation needs your grace and your mercy. Um, and we think of Australia especially. Uh, we're, we're a people that have had a spiritual legacy 
in some very major ways in the past, uh, but we're a people that do not, by and large, call on the name of the Lord. We have so many millions of people that are unconverted, uh, many more who are uh, only and merely nominal in their faith, and uh, many, many, many people in churches who um, are... Uh, we, we have a lot of reform to do to get back to the Bible and preaching your word the way that it ought to be done. And we, we do not despair and we do not lose hope because we have a God that we can pray to. So we ask, Lord God, that uh, utilizing amazing technology like this radio station, utilizing uh, the Internet and other other manners and utilizing uh, simple things like gospel tracts and conversation with neighbors uh, and, and and your local churches, Lord God, your center of, of mission, your your plan for changing the world is the local church. I pray that in Australia you would strengthen local churches in two ways. Lord God, that you would reform them and bring them back to the Bible in the sense that they believe what it says, preach what it says, despite the cost. And Lord God, that you would also graciously give revival. That as the gospel is proclaimed, that as Jesus is upheld, your spirit starts adding people to churches. That the, 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 the congregations explode because so many people are giving their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for this. Um, outside of a widespread revival an awakening in your church and uh, salvation to to many millions it is hard to see that the the future of australia is bright and under your blessing so we pray that you would uh, strengthen churches raise up many preachers many pastors uh, and many new local churches and that uh, people would be saved and added to them lord god would you be merciful to us uh, who are your church we know that you say judgment starts with the household of god would you please prove us and try us and purify us so that we might be people that can give glory to your name uh, according to what you've commanded in the word we thank you for your grace we thank you for your mercy we thank you for the gospel of the lord jesus christ and may may this nation become to be known again in power and truth as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of the one who has purchased redemption and salvation, our God, Savior, and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Great prayer. And thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. What a, what a great privilege. And thank you for everything that uh, Vision Radio does to get the, the word of the gospel out to our, our, our thirsty nation. There's a lot of thirst out there. It's a great, great word. Thank you so much. That's Pastor Tom Ford, been my guest here this morning on uh, Sunday Morning Together. Have a wonderful day. I'll catch you again next week. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.